welcome to Up Close and Virtual with me, Katie Tew. In each episode, I'll be joined by a guest where we'll be chatting about our experience of starting and running a business, the lessons that we've learned along the way. We'll be sharing our top tips and, of course, best practice. Expect to be entertained, enlightened and empowered. Happy listening. Good afternoon, good evening or good morning to all of our lovely listeners. Welcome to the next episode of Up Close and Virtual with me, Katie Chew. This week, I am absolutely delighted to introduce you all to the wonderful Tim Brown of Grosvenor House. Tim is a hero, quite frankly, in my mind. He's an accountant. He happens to be my accountant but he's more than that. He's a friend. Tim has been pretty responsible for the success, certainly from a a financial perspective of my business. I have a huge amount of respect for both him and his partner, Dan. um, And I'm really delighted that you've taken the time to join us, Tim. Thank you very much. No, thank you. What a lovely introduction. Thanks very much. And uh, lovely to be here, Casey. Yeah. Well, all true, all true. I I had a horrible experience with an accountant previously, and I got to a point where I was really desperate for somebody who could help me, genuinely help me, not just tell me what I was doing wrong. So I was very lucky in the fact that Tim's name was passed by my door, um, and uh, I went to meet Tim and Dan, and I have never looked back, and the success of my business has never looked better as a result. So, and that's genuine. That really is genuine. Tim, why don't we sort of kick off with a bit of your background? Tell us about Grosvenor House. Tell us about how you got to being an accountant and the other side of your life. Yeah. Um, so, I, well, as you know, it's somewhat less conventional than than some of the roads that uh, people that practice in accountancy have taken. So my... Um, my very much my passion background um and heart lies in farming yeah. actually so i'm um i'm a farmer's son um we've got 250 odd acres in gloucestershire and suckler cows that we've had i used to milk cows when i was younger um wow went to sealhane agricultural college in mm-hmm. in newton abbott devon had a brilliant well a lot of fun for three years i don't know yeah, <laughs> Yeah, story um, yeah. of agricultural college is um, enough to make your hair curl. Yeah, that's right. There, there, there are a few. There's been a few recently, I think, locally. But <laughs> anyway, um, we uh, yeah. So my my intention was just to come back and run the family farm, as so many of of the students down there were. Hence, it was fairly sort of lively for three years, and we were all you know coming back to a sentence, really, in a way. Um, <laughs> When I did, I, I started, and that was still the plan. And, and I, um, as you know, I've played a, a fair bit of rugby in my life and uh, yes. was playing in Ireland on a tour match and uh, managed to break my leg in two places and dislocate my ankle at the same time. So Tim. couldn't work on the farm for a period of, it looked like around six months with the healing. And, and I think I lasted about a week before... 
uh, watching everybody sort of do the work outside and having to sit down inside just wasn't really working for me. Uh-huh. So, um, which again is bizarre when you think that's actually what I do now. But yeah, <laughs> but it's um... oh, yeah. Hang on, the difference is that was this is by choice. Yeah, that yeah. was by accident. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, so yeah, I, I phoned up our local accountants at the time in Thornbury, um, and I. I got on very well with them. I went in and, and I've done the bookkeeping for the farm for a while. I always yeah. I didn't always enjoy farm business management as well. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's I think a wonderful man called John Asher, who was my lecturer down at um Seal Hain, is responsible for lots of my financial interest, shall we say. There's always somebody who influences, isn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah. I mean there's there's been there's been too many probably to even yeah. name, but um you know, I mean, my dad was always quite interested in figures and, um, you know, I think he'd have loved to have had a bit more time at school to to, to get the qualifications that yeah. he probably should have. But, you know, that was a time when if you were a farmer's son and you were 15, you weren't staying at school. That was that was time for them to get repaid yeah. for that was everything they've done for you. So no choice in that one. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so, yeah. So I, I sort of. I started and, and went in on crutches and did the did a few bits of bookkeeping and uh, it seemed to go okay and and uh, then they said well you perhaps ought to think about professional qualifications so I thought blimey this is this is just a little well not little as you know but a boy from the milking parlour <laughs> um, coming out and starting to work in a professional office um, what do I do and they said well look you know, go and have a chat with some of the other accountants in the office and see what they think. They might give you a few tips. And I'll never forget again, one of them said, well, I'm not sure whether you're ready for that. You've just stepped outside a milking parlour, haven't you? And I thought, <laughs> right, OK, well, that's probably the best incentive ever, anybody's ever given me. So so yeah. I better give it a go. <laughs> Nothing like a challenge being set. Absolutely. And then, yeah, the, I started doing these... Um, these very kind of uh, professional exams and sort of going off and doing study leave and things like that, which was, yeah. you know, certainly quite alien to me at that time. Um, and every every six months I'd passed another three exams and got back to the point where my health had recovered, sat down with mum and dad and I said, look, probably need to make a bit of a go of this because it's a bit more profitable than farming. And um, they were very supportive and we all sort of agreed that was the right way to go. We sold the milking cows, but then um, retained the farm, which okay. is probably the reason we were able to retain the farm. And so, yeah, so I went, so I launched into this sort of um, crazy career change. At, it must have been 31 or so, because I'd just had um, Henry, my eldest. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was all about the same time. And the rest, I suppose, as they say, is history. Um, and here I am. When did you start Grosvenor House? So I qualified in, it must have been something like 2005, and then came in sort of professional offices. It's quite often the case that you sort of, um, you know, you're the junior and you're training, and then when you qualify, despite having been promised the earth, there isn't really a position for you because, you know, there's a a very structured sort of set. Yeah, which was pretty much the case. They, they, you know, at the place that I worked to, I, I did work with a wonderful chap there called Des King, who was my boss. And Des was a um, 
Des was not actually a qualified accountant, but an incredibly brilliant chap when it came to understanding people and relationships. And, you know, I could, I'd, I'd always sort of sit in with him on his um, telephone calls and he'd, uh, you know, he'd just amaze you with his ability to remember names of children and grandchildren and, yeah. you know, and, and, and it, and it something was starting to click a little bit at this stage in terms of how to deliver this sort of stuff. And um, anyway, I made the decision ultimately to leave there because the position wasn't quite there. I came over to Tetbury yeah. and worked for a chap called Richard Summers. Richard Summers was an interesting character and was was the sort of Tetbury accountant that, that wandered around Tetbury um, and said all the right things and knew all the right people and yeah. shook all the right hands, certainly. And um, he was getting close to retirement. So he yeah. said to me fairly soon after, OK, well, this is probably going to be about you making me an offer. And I thought, well, I haven't really seen that coming, but <laughs> let's have the conversation. <laughs> Let me just go and break into the piggy bank and see what I can come up with. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and Richard had a guy working with him, Tony Jones, um, who was his other director. Tony and I got on really well. Uh, and we built and formed Grosvenor House at that point because um, we actually bought Richard Summers and Co Limited. But yeah. quite frankly, by the time we sort of had got through the deal and realised what we'd sort of done, if you like, it was fairly clear that there wasn't a huge benefit in sort of um, retaining the old company name. And yeah. we actually, funnily enough, we I mean, I don't know whether you've realised, but the, the history of the name was that the building that we were actually in in Tetbury was called Grosvenor House. Oh, and I didn't know that. No. no, no, and it was strange because we we sort of we suddenly said, well, we probably ought to change the name, and we we both were of the view that we didn't really want it to be. You know, we thought Brown and Jones sounded a little bit more like a builder's merchant than a <laughs> council's. <laughs> so, so. And I think my dad actually again probably was the one that said, "Well, why don't you call it Grosvenor House? That's the name of the building." And I thought, "Well, actually, Dad, that probably works, doesn't it?" Yeah. So think of all those companies out there who spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds on branding and you know all of that sort of thing. And actually, just look around you. Just look around you, and the name is probably there, right in front of your nose. <laughs> I think it's a hugely important and interesting point that you make yeah. because. Uh, you know, we see it's funny, isn't it? And 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 I think it's a really bigger point because we the amount of money that we do see spent on that sort of thing, advertising, sort of kind of posturing a, about who mm-hmm. you sort of want to be, rather than actually just doing it and doing it well. And you know, I think there's a yeah, there's there's a there's a really interesting point there, actually. There's um, an awful lot to discuss on it. I think one of the things that I always focus when I'm coaching um, my sort of aspiring um, VAs is, you know, don't don't focus on any of that stuff. The important thing is what you want to do and how you want to deliver it. You don't even need a website. I didn't have a website for my business until three, four years ago. Yeah. And I'd done it completely with without the website. You know, ultimately, it's only a shop window. And then when I did go and get a website, 
it's still not driving any new business really to my door. I mean, it's creating awareness, but it doesn't do much more than that. And I think my marketing spend, well, you you probably know <laughs> what my marketing spend is, but it's by far the lowest of the yeah. outgoings in terms of my business. Well, it's a remarkable thing, isn't it, advertising when you think about it, because yeah. not really very easy to measure in terms of how successful it is. But we're... I mean, certainly, I, I don't think we hear it so much now, but I'm sure you and I can both remember a time where we would, you know, people would go around saying, well, if you're not spending X on advertising, you know, I don't know why you're bothering or, you know, you're not going to be out on those markets where you need this yep. slick e-commerce website to, del-, you know, and I think absolutely agree with what you said. Even our website, there are very old folks, you know, there are things that I look at and think, right, we do need to make this a bit more professional slip whatever but it doesn't make any difference to us as a business because nine out of ten of the people that come to me come to me because they've spoken to somebody else that that knows how we deal with things yeah. you know and I it's think, um I think there's definitely a time and a, a place for that type of investment and I yeah, think yeah. very much depends on where your business is but if we're talking yeah. about the average small to medium sized enterprise that's ticking away quite nicely it's got a good profit margin on it and it's not looking to grow or yeah. you know, they're not looking for funding or whatever it might be, then honestly, just leave it as it is. Then, you know, when you get to those points of saying, well, actually, I want to grow or I'm looking for funding or I'm even looking at selling my business, then maybe you need to yeah. get your yeah. ducks in a row and maybe spend a little bit more money on it. But I think, you know, short, 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 medium term, leave it where it is, work hard on your own natural relationships and your referral network. Just on Grosvenor House now, I mean, in, in terms of your clients, you're obviously based in Gloucestershire. Is there a specific sort of demographic? Is there a type of business that you particularly work with or is it kind of across multiple? It's in- definitely across multiple sort of platforms, for whatever yeah. better word. I, I mean, I think um, we just deal well with people who are sort of largely, I, I suppose, family or owner owner managed businesses I think are important um we do have some bigger ones that are more of a kind of not exactly corporate but they're more of a corporate structure where there's Mm -hmm. multiple directors that we look after but I think where we really work very well is is where um you know we build relationships with the owners of the businesses and and we get we do we get involved and we're interested in, in yeah. you know their family members and, and who else is involved in there I think I suppose it comes down to really trying to understand what the end goal is you know and yeah. I think once you do that um you'll you'll have a client who might have been I don't know might have had a bad experience with a pension in the past for example yeah and, yeah. and they don't really ever want to talk about pensions or the, the sense of pensions so you move on to something else or you I think it's really important to, I mean, for me, I, I love people anyway. You know, I love human beings. I think they're fascinating yeah. and so different and diverse. And I think we see so many different ways of, of entire, you know, similar businesses ended up with different results, different methods ending up with different results, different scales, different, you know, and it's, it's, um, it, it is always fascinating to mm-hmm. see how many how many ways there are of going at it I suppose you know and actually funny enough that's that comment about loving people 
nine times out of ten, the success comes from the people who are driving it. Absolutely. So, you know, I think it, it's that sort of commitment. It's the, the the individual personality. You know, all those sort of things make a huge impact on success. Yeah. I guess one of the things you're an accountant. It's a podcast. I'm going to promote it on accounting advice. What are the common mistakes, Tim, that you see businesses make, um, particularly in that sort of small to medium sized place um, that you think that they could and should be avoiding? Is is there a common thread? Is there? A well, I think I, I think I'm going to have to start off by talking about pricing, yes. because I think, you know, and particularly in this last few months, yeah we've seen so many differences in our base costs you know so the costs that we as businesses are seeing the you know the wages that we have to then pay out because people are you know we're in this funny rotational circle aren't we where you know inflation has hit a high so therefore wages have to go up and if wages go up then businesses costs go up so they have to put their prices up and inflation is still going up so we you know so we're in this sort of never-ending circle in a way and it's amazing how many people I've had a conversation with that find it when they when they look at how they should price their products their services whatever it might be they're very very much dictated to by what the rest of the market's doing when they initially start thinking about it so they'll say yes okay I can't do this yeah they'll look at their competitors and see what they're charging and say okay well that should be yeah yeah that's right that and that'll be the sort of and and often it's actually sort of worse than that in a way because it'll be you know your very typical business person business owner now would be somebody that perhaps has done the thing that they're going to be doing as a business for five to ten years working for somebody else probably in some area they've thought actually i'd quite like to do it for myself and then Mm -hmm. suddenly they so suddenly and everybody says to them oh you should you know you should go on your own and you know and and, and this this bandwagon sort of builds and then they suddenly start thinking oh yeah actually you know I'm really good at doing x so I should start a business and it's a curious thing when you think about it because at no point did that give you the right to be able to start a business did it and I know I know it's it actually just meant you were good at... Jean says you're brilliant at yeah. So I shall start my own fashion um, label. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that's right, you know, and I think what happens is they then come into this world of business going, well, I'm going to do something really great. I'm going to be a fiver less than my business was charging everybody else out at. So, yeah. so I'm going to get loads of work and, and we all do it. You know, we were talking about it earlier. You know, we all do it. We take on every bit of work that we can get because we start off at point zero in terms of turnover. And we think, blimey, you know, that's got to be at least, well, it's got to be at least a double digit number for me to start putting food on the table to start with. Um, so I'm going to take everything and anything and I'm going to work until midnight every night and get up at four o'clock in the morning if I have, you know, yep. that's your mindset when you start off. And yep. I think, been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I've certainly been there. And, and you know, you, so I think what doesn't happen enough is that there isn't probably enough time spent on the, the theoretical model that people are trying to get to. Is there, is there a magic formula for working out pricing? I think you've got, I mean, for me, 
it's relatively straightforward in my head. I can see this sort of um, almost equation that says, first of all, I come and look at what my overheads are. And when I talk about overheads, I just mean the running costs of my business that are going to happen, whatever I decide to do, whether I get up in the morning or not, I've got, you know, one 365th, if you like, of that cost every day running. I've got, say, an insurance or, say, a rent. So whatever that is, it, it's completely irrelevant to how much activity or turnover I do. I, ne- I need to cover that. So there's a number there somewhere that we need to understand. And that's I find it easier for me to break that down into a monthly figure so that I know sort of what that needs to be then to cover. I then either am selling a service or a product, and that service or that product will have a direct cost related to it. So it might be that I'm selling a widget for for 10 quid um, and it costs me five, you know, whatever, whatever the equation is, that there'll be a there'll be a margin there. Yeah. What I need to do is I need to make sure that my margin is going to cover my overheads and yeah. my profit requirement to actually give me a return. And of course, the one thing that you don't often see, or you certainly don't see it in a commercial on a commercial level, is owners' salaries properly reflecting in sets of account. Yeah. If they're a sole trader, it's reflected as drawings. If yeah. they're a limited company, it's often reflect, reflected as a very low salary with the remainder in dividends. So, yeah. you know, so it, it's, I think the problem is we forget that actually, really, the reason we went into business is we probably actually want to make a little bit more money. Absolutely. I, yeah. I have. So just to break that down, and I think for anybody sort of listening, I think, you know, you, you need to, if you're selling a widget at five pounds, it's going to cost you five pounds to actually get the widget to a point where you can sell it. The five pounds of, of your profit in inverted commas is the bit that you need to make sure covers your overheads and think about your salary bit as well. And then you need to add a percentage to give you a profit. Absolutely. And and, and think about that in, in huge amounts of detail, yeah. in really great detail. Because and- if you take something like a, if you take something like the work that you and I do, yeah. you know, we, we have hours essentially yes. to sell, don't we, of our time. And and when people go into service type businesses, they will immediately go, well, I'm going to work 37 and a half hours a week. So I'm going to times that. But, you know, that's not realistic. You know, no. you're not you're, no. you're unlikely to hit more than 75 percent chargeable exactly. if you're very, very efficient, you know. Um, exactly. So I think the way if when I work with anybody who's looking to start up their own VA business, which is is a professional service business i always say to them start at the top and look at what is your hard outgoings so yeah. and, and that is everything i mean not, i'm not talking about what's going through the business but your hard outgoings because you're ultimately trying to work out what you need to earn to pay yourself because yeah, yeah. These girls largely are working from home so they've got very low overheads actually so look at that hard stuff you know that that stuff that's non-negotiable your rent your mortgage yeah. your you know, health insurance, whatever it is that's hard. Then look at what you have been earning historically as an annual salary. Look at the difference in those. Then look at the cost of what you're going to be spending in overheads on your business. So you need to look at your 
your initial outlay on your your computers, your internet, your mobile telephone number um, or telephone, and all of the other insurance bits and pieces. Once yeah. you've got a final figure, you can then look at adding a percentage. And I always Absolutely. say that if you add 10 to 15% in the first year, you've got something to build on from there. You're not being greedy, you're not overpricing yourself. Um, the, the sort of standard rate for virtual assistants in the kind of VA world is £25 an hour. Um, and I think most of them always go to jelly when I say it's £25 mm. an hour because they think, oh, nobody's going to spend that sort of money on me. And it's really brave. You've got to own it. You've really got to own it. Well, it's and funny. I mean, we have that, you know, we see that. I suppose it helps me sometimes to have that reflection on the world of agriculture sometimes because it's, um, you know, that's a world that has massively pulled yeah. its bootstraps up when it comes to yeah. salaries and hourly rates. You know, if, if you were paying, you know, in the very traditional sense, the agricultural labourer often was somebody that was perceived as somebody that couldn't get anything else, you yeah. know, weren't so they were going to be paid a very low manual rate. So that, you know, that it wouldn't be it, it was I'm sure I think even now possibly the agricultural wages board rates are lower than the national minimum wage. So it sort of allows itself for that to be the case. Um particularly with younger people. Yeah. And I think um and now, you know, we've we've now got to a stage where that's changed a bit. And if you've got sort of a herdsman in a dairy farm who's experienced and knows what he's doing, he's he's more likely to command a salary of fifty to sixty thousand a year now. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So we we have come a seen, long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has come a long way, and I think it's, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those, isn't it? You, you, I think what we're both talking about here is the is the the need to look at the look over the cliff edge, whichever way you want to sort of describe it. You know, you need to be really, really realistic about this, Absolutely. and not not just hope that you can. Well, we might be able to do that a bit cheaper, or we might, you know, because it's the and it's it's so honestly, Kate, you know, the amount of times I have this conversation with different people of different sorts yeah. who, have, who have just not really built. And, and I think when we when we get sort of a, a few years down the road and we actually sort of think, well, actually, they, yeah, that's funny. You know, they keep coming back every year and maybe what we're doing is like, you know, then then our confidence builds and we feel yeah. like we can do this. But it. It does take a fair bit to do that. It you know. and, and it is so important to get it right because that it is your success or failure. And actually, interestingly, one of the things I was going to ask you is, as a small business owner, what what are the key parts of your finan- finances that you absolutely need to have at the forefront of your mind all the time? I think for us, it's just that... Um, you know, if I just think about how we run Grosvenor House's finances, which I think is 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 probably a good place to start the question. I, I think, hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's um for me, it's about we've we've developed quite a few systems over the years in in terms of our finances, and I think the most important thing to date has just been that ability to almost get the information at your fingertips as quickly as possible. So. And I don't. I, I I take the point that anybody listening to this will think, well, actually, of course you can do that because you're an accountant, and of course we should be able to do that. And I mm-hmm. guess if I was a business owner that that wasn't an accountant and perhaps didn't think in the way that I did, I yeah, 
I would urge people to try and find any system, whatever it is that works for them, it doesn't really matter. I don't care whether they use an accountant, use zero QuickBooks, say whatever it might be, you know, yeah. just some way of actually, you know, understanding and, and, and often um, something that, that resonated with me that I heard a long time ago was that, you know, we, we've talked about things like there's been so much business jargon and management speak about things like KPIs and all of these sorts of things in yeah. the past. But I think this concept of um, if you were stranded on a desert island, you know, which five pieces of information would you need to come over regularly in the bottle to understand yeah. how your business is doing? Yeah. To me, that's a really interesting thing. And actually, I don't think there's a catch-all answer for every business I think it's really interesting to go in and understand because some businesses you know and with seasonality and all of those sorts of things you can see different things at different times but there will be answers in there um and unfortunately uh, or fortunately whichever way you look at it from a management point of view cash nearly always is the thing that comes out and and, you know that that great sort of cash is king expression quite often comes back and and bites us and you know, because I think it's really important to understand that these yeah. theoretical profits that we've been talking about are great, but they have to be there in cash and they have to be yeah. paid. And they, so I think, I think probably having a bit of an overview. I mean, I do like having said all of the things about not promoting a certain software product. Product, I do like using zero, as you know, and I do like the way that they lay that out because they've got the blocks of different areas that you more. should be understanding. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you. I love, I mean, okay, maybe this is an admittance too far, but I actually love Xero. Yeah, it's it's good software. What it does for me is it just focuses you on the bank and it, it and the bank feeds and the transactions keep coming in. But you've got your because really, I mean, if you if you think about cash flow, it's always got to be about bank, obviously. Yeah. People that owe you and what you owe so yeah. you know if you've got a handle on those three things at any one point you've got a pretty good view on where your position is and it might be that you know I've, I've seen people that that feel terrible because they've got no money in the bank but when we actually sit down and decipher it properly they've got several hundred thousand about to come in you know over the next few weeks and they've got very little to pay out because they've paid all their creditors so yeah. you can instantly see that the position is going to rectify itself I think I think it's really hard, though, for a lot of people because they do get that blind sort of fog when it comes to numbers in the way that we're talking. It it doesn't come naturally. And I think and I do think it's really important to to have somebody around within any business that does at least have some sort of handle on the number. You see, I think that is more important than anything else, whether you're a small business who employs a financial director who who you really know and trust and talks your language, or you find yourself like I have an accountant like you who talks my language and is really clear with the advice, you know, and I think, and I feel comfortable with, you know, it's, you know, that it's as important as that, you know, I can ask a really silly question and not feel stupid. Yeah, I mean, that's, for me, that's lovely to hear because that is probably my biggest passion in terms of the service that we deliver. And I think I may have told you this story before, but when I grew up um, on the farm, my mum and dad, every time we had a a meeting with a solicitor, bank manager or accountant, they would run around for a couple of weeks before. The the mood in the house changed. 
God, yeah. You know, there was tension. There were there were a number of um, notes being written on the back of envelopes about the money that was coming in and the, you know, and what, because farming was always tough, you know, there was always big, yeah. big amounts of sort of stores and crops and yeah. we go back to our sort of cash flow thing, don't we? You know, it's either in the bank or it's in the shed or it's about to be, same sort of concept. Thing of farming being tough enough and then having the added stress and anxiety of meeting an accountant yeah. who looks down their nose at you and, and communicates but nothing other than... Well, absolutely. And that was that was my very real experience at 18 yeah. when I went in with my dad for the first time to the accountant's yeah. office. And we sat in front of a, a very nice leather inlaid desk and we, uh, <laughs> you know, and I thought... Well, this is it. You know, I've made it. I'm, I'm going with Dad to see the accountant. So yeah, I'm going to. There are all of the secrets are going to be unlocked now. And uh, and I'd obviously I'd always seen the the, the farm accounts that Mum and Dad were great. There was never any sort of um, you know holding back with any of it. And he literally read out the accounts, uh, the profit and loss. He he read out line by line and let, read the figures out. And I can, I remember coming out and saying to Dad, did you? He didn't know that he could read, did he? Because it was, and I just thought, and I think genuinely, we then got charged. I think three and a half grand for the accounts, oh, and um, <laughs> and then you know, and, and I think if Mum and Dad queried it, it would be well, you sent the checkbook stubs in and didn't really organise anything, so that's why it costs much more. Oh. And all of those things really did shape my desire to create something that. So we, so I would be borderline distraught if anybody came out of our office and said I've just had a really awful experience with an accountant because you know we we and there are difficult conversations sometimes there are people that yeah. don't understand where we're coming from there are people that are suspicious of accountants and professional people often and probably rightly so I mean you're your, I did. I noted it down because it meant something. Your first sentence, I think you said you'd had a horrible experience with an accountant. Yeah. The amount of people that come into our office and say this, and it's it's disgraceful, really. It was, but in, and it was like, way. for me, it felt like going back to school and being yeah. up in front of the headmistress because I yeah. had done something wrong. Yeah. Um, and all I'd done is work my backside off for another yeah. year and was submitting my accounts. I remember, that's right, I remember saying to him, you know, we're a limited company and we're VAT registered. Um, but I said, we're not earning, you know, I'm not turning over enough. And the whole process of doing a VAT return on a quarterly basis for me was absolutely horrendous and and just, super, I mean, super stressy for me. And I kept saying, can't I just deregister? Oh no, no, because you might you might need it in the future. And I was like, well, I'm, yeah, but in it, if I need it in the future, can I re-register? No, 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 you've got to stay. So, and I worked like that doing VAT returns, yeah, yeah, on a basis on an Excel spreadsheet for, I mean, nearly three years. And I, I mean, I felt positively suicidal. It's <laughs> incredible. Like, oh my god. It's incredible. I don't know. I, I've, I've started to believe as I get older that the more kind of complicated jargon you hear, the less people know. And I, I, I that sounds like such an odd thing, but I have such a joy mm -hmm. in being able to try and decipher these things and yeah. make them um, make sense. Or, or to even get people to say, not sure it makes a lot of sense, but I trust you. So... Mm -hmm. 
yeah. do the best thing for me. I think, we... <laughs> I think just just sort of kind of round up, just to make sure that that those who are listening, I, I think it's really important that people understand what is sitting in their bank account at any one time, know what's on its way in in terms of invoicing and what's due out in terms yes. of expenses. If you've got a handle on those three things then you will pretty much be able to react and cope with any significant changes as long as you know what those are. I was going to ask you what was the one app or tool for accounting that (laughs) you thought we needed. I think you've already answered that. I think zero, zero. I think so. I think certainly in in terms of um, the more recent sort of developments, I think it's a massive breakthrough as as a bit of software. I mean, I was always frustrated by the different accounting packages and how wieldy they were. And and I think it's part of the same school that we've just been talking about there. You know, Sage, for example, is a great bit of software for accountants because only accountants can use it, you know. And I'm sorry, but I think there's something in that. Um, I cut my teeth doing bookkeeping on Sage. I had to go and do a course in it. I spent three days in Bristol learning how to use Sage. I came out and I was still none the wiser. Um, and thank God Zero came in quite quickly after that, because I think if I'd had to use Sage for too much longer, I would have absolutely, well... The crazy been... thing about it, Katie, as well, is that it doesn't actually... I think with Zero, you kind of have to use some proper, if you like, good old-fashioned bookkeeping skills. Yes. <laughs> Whereas Sage, you know, it can create experts in Sage, but actually, you know... They'll tell you how a report works and what the nominal code is for material. <laughs> but actually, you know. And reversing transactions. I mean, that was like building oh. the Great Wall of China. Anyway, that's. I mean, before I, before I completely slate Sage, the only thing I will say is that there is one, and you'll, you'll, this will amuse you. There's one very ancient piece of software called Sage Financial Forecasting, which used to be called Win Forecast. I mean, it's okay. it's so old, it's it's incredible. <laughs> um, this software is the only software I've found that produces a beautiful, and I, I'm sure there's other bits out there now, but it produces a beautiful profit and loss, cash flow and balance sheet projection for as many years as you want it to. And you can sort of put in your sales and purchases and, change it by percentage points. So, so it's a lovely bit of software to produce loan application work and things like that. And then um, I've got I've got this last bit of software still on an ancient Toshiba laptop, <laughs> which is a kind of about as big as an old TV. But yeah, so I have to kind of carry it around occasionally. So you have I've to fire thought, up the old Toshiba. To it, it is like that. It is like that. And it's whether it will actually fire up or not, because <laughs> recently it's been sort of just a little bit flickery. <laughs> it has to be plugged in. It won't now operate off the battery. And would but, you be bereft without it? I would. I, I think I would. I, I mean, I've been trying recently to find people that have marketed something similar, but, you know, it now it now goes into the realms of, well, that's a very... You know, that's you're a very a, You're science. a zero partner, aren't you? So surely yeah. you've got you've probably got an inroad into zero. So come on, produce the same. There are a couple. They've tried to do a couple, but they're not. Still for me, not they're not as intelligent as. Uh, I mean, it's it's always just these funny little features, aren't you? That aren't there that you sort of think, well, actually, that's great, and it just you know, and for some reason, it doesn't sort of. Um, it just doesn't talk to you know. It just doesn't. They don't seem to sort of communicate in in the okay. same way. But 
Maybe one day. We'll maybe one day I'll, I'll design one and then be able to retire. That'd be I nice. was going to say, that was, <laughs> that was a kind of passing comment. You'll have to develop the app for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you could give one piece of financial advice to your younger self, what would it be? I think it would probably be along the lines of everything we've just talked about, which would be to just make sure you're completely on top of all of your, you know, understand your business. Don't, don't think too much about, I think, I think I probably personally thought too much about what I was doing in terms of, well, I'm an accountant now and I'm perhaps, you know, and it's, we're all, at the end of the day, we are all just running businesses to make a few quid to, survive to to be able to go and do things that we want to do and I think we have to be hard about it we have to be harder and and I've learned you know by being in positions where you know there isn't there is an issue with cash flow and you do have to put things right and it's not it's not fun you know there'll be lots of businesses out there at the moment that it's really not fun but the least the least effective thing is not doing anything about it I couldn't agree (laughs) Face it doesn't it. do anything yeah. for you, no, you know. It, it really doesn't. And and that awful thing of coping with fear yeah, is horrendous. And actually talking to somebody, anybody, it doesn't matter, is a really positive step in the right direction to getting it sorted. And there is, nine times out of ten, always a solution. There is. And, and you know, sometimes it's a tough solution. But actually, you know, I've sat down with people and said, Right. Okay. You've you've earned six thousand pounds worth of profits for the last three years. If you were working for somebody else, would you accept a salary of six thousand pounds? No, of course I wouldn't. Right. Okay. So why are we doing this? You know, why aren't we changing something? And it's amazing when you see the penny drop because it's it's sad sometimes because you know people realise sometimes you do realise that there perhaps isn't actually a business there. And, and it wasn't really something that, that should have happened in the first place. Sometimes there's a really easy tweak. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we tell people to put loads of extra money on their charges and, and it will, you know, and it, and it will it, come. It, will, it come. will come and yeah. it can, you know, it, it's, um, yeah. I think though, something that we've, we've touched on together. I mean, I think we all struggle a little, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that don't have it said that. But most of us struggle a little bit with our own value, I think. Yeah. And I think whether it's the value of the product that we sell, the quality, the, you know, all of those sorts of things, I think it's really important to, to shoot for something higher. And when you do get the, the target result, then shoot for something higher again, because, you know, you probably will need it. Business has this funny habit of taking a few swipes at you when you haven't sort of, you know, expected it. And, and you need to be resilient for that. I think I think you're right. And I think if if you go high, you can come down. Yeah, yeah. But if you start too low, you've left yourself absolutely in the corner and with nowhere to turn. So aim high and negotiate from there. But generally speaking, know your worth, I think, too. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I come across all the time. I suppose particularly because of my client base, you know, tends to be women of a certain age who haven't probably run their own businesses previously. So they lack a huge amount of self-confidence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it is, it's that thing of, well, okay, look, 
you know, put your big girl pants on and be brave about this. The braver you are, the more reward you'll get out of it. And that's that's something that I've really only learned with from a conversation that you and I had at the end of yeah. last year. <laughs> it's funny as well, isn't it? I mean, I think I said to you then, if I remember rightly, you know, when I when I started out in business and I'm sort of now crikey, I'm a qualified accountant with a practicing certificate. I'm now a fellow, you know. I mean what the, the times that you feel, how the hell did this happen? You know, and you, and I used to definitely have moments where I'd I'd think, well, I've got a pretty sort of, you know, hard meeting to do today, yeah. and the clients, the sort of client that's going to, you know, pick me up on every small point, and I need to be ready. And I would definitely feel at times, God, you know, that, that I'm going to do my spiel, and somebody's going to finally work it out and go, yeah, you don't know what you're. You don't know what you're talking, you know, and it's it obviously happened. at touch word that has never ever happened because you do and, know you, you do, and I do know happened. my stuff, yes. and I know that <laughs> if I didn't know my stuff, I wouldn't be pretending I, you, you know, it's one of those, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's yeah, we're all capable of finding, you know, and I, I often say to people when I'm training people and staff, you know, nobody really expects you to have every single answer in your head you know just if we treat people properly and politely and suggest that we might be able to help or find a way but you know that's the best you can do for people you know um, absolutely it's never that simple we're coming to the end of our conversation mr brown i always like to end with something a little bit different so I'm going to ask you to choose one celebrity to be your accounting client. Who would it be? Okay. I think for me, this is going to be my comedy hero, who is uh, actually Bob Mortimer. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love. So when I was, um, I think when I was probably 17 or 18, I grew up and suddenly saw these two idiots running around on Channel 4 doing Vic Reeves' Big big Night Out. And I just thought it was so surreal and odd and just so great to sort of take you outside the real world and just watch people smacking themselves over a head with a saucepan or something stupid. Um, Ultimate slapstick comedy. It was, it was. It was just that to start with. And Bob Mortimer, over the more recent years, I've just grown... I love his fishing stuff that he does with Paul Whitehouse and his books and his podcasts and he had a sort of um, a pretty nasty experience with a he had a, a heart problem and nearly died and I think he he talks a lot about it and it's it's really interesting I, I'd like as you I'm sure picked up on in the past I like talking about life experiences yes. and, and sort of you know the ups and downs that we all yeah. go through um and I'm never frightened of talking about it. And, I, and I think people that do are great and he just makes me laugh so I think if, if I had him as a client I think we'd probably have to do tax returns over lunch regularly yeah. <laughs> you'd be encouraging to be carry encouraging him to be VAT registered so you could see him once a quarter absolutely yeah 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 insisting <laughs> I think yeah I'd go back to the old school. <laughs> I think what we'll have to do is we'll try and tag him um, when we're promoting the podcast and just see if we can get any um, response. You never know. You never. Yeah, know. no, he's great. He's great. Tim, 
As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. But this time, thank you for taking the time to chat away. And I hope that the listeners will enjoy it and find it insightful. I will make sure that all of the Grosvenor House contact details and your details are in the notes below when the podcast goes out. Um, So if anybody is looking for an accountant, I cannot, genuinely cannot recommend Grosvenor House more highly they are fantastic so tim thank you very much indeed absolute pleasure thank you and lovely to speak to you thank you so much for listening please don't forget to follow me and my guests on our social channels. All the details will be in the show notes. And please get in touch if you have any questions or topics that you might like to have covered in the next episodes, or even if you would like to be a guest yourself.